Well, we've got great scriptures today. Of course, I'm tempted to speak about this delightful story in our gospel with Zacchaeus, the short guy who climbs the tree to see Jesus. <laughs> um, but I, I want to focus on our first reading here because it only comes comes by uh, you know once every two years. This reading from the book of uh, the Maccabees. It's a really wonderful story about this old timer. Eleazar, he's 90 years old, and he dies this glorious martyr's death for the sake of the law of God. I said to Brian earlier, um, you know, it's uh, it's very appropriate they should, that a man with a white beard should be reading this gospel text. And he says, yes, and it's all the more so because this Zacchaeus gave an example to the young people. And so I want to give an example to all the young people out here in front of me. <laughs> so... But this, that issue though of the old giving an example to the young is what I want to focus on. And it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful, important thing. How wonderful is it when we as Christians, uh, who not only grasp supernatural realities, but also because we're in alignment with supernatural realities, are also in alignment with natural realities. How wonderful is it when we as Christians really get it that Human society is bound together by ties of natural uh, affection and fellow feeling and sympathy and blood, blood ties, uh, and intergenerational bonds. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Today we have, a, there, there's a kind of a cultural force that's there, and we, we really do need to be aware of it and conscientiously um, stand opposed to it. It's a force that wants to silo off the individual person from everybody else. You know, I remember Father Bob Worth in Rochester. He had this, when I was this is years ago. I was uh, doing my uh, basically before I was ordained. Before I went into seminary, I took some time and, and spent some time in a parish for a year, just working in a parish. And he was one of the priests there. And he says, <laughs> you always joke about how you know in today's day, you know, like you drive. By yourself in your little tin box, you know, down the, thr- the throughway, and you've got all of these other people who are like ten feet away from you. They're all in their little tin boxes, you know. And you go, and then you drive into your tin box at home, and you shut the door. You know, beep, beep, the door shuts down, and you're <laughs> we're all like thirty feet away from each other, but we're all completely siloed off. There isn't a connection. There isn't a connection. Whereas uh, in older ages, when economies were local, you walked everywhere, and you know you met people maybe you didn't like so much, but you met lots of people that you liked, and it was a community, and you had contact with each other. It's very human. And today there's, there's a force, philosophically, politically, to really think of yourself as isolated from everybody else, you know? Everything I do in my life just affects me. It doesn't affect anybody else. That's the, that's the mentality. See, that's not true, and that's what Eleazar really got, you know. So, some of them might say, well, what's the problem, you know, Eleazar, you could just eat, you know, why don't you sneak some pork in, okay, on the table. Eat, or I'm sorry, why don't you sneak some beef in, you know, because beef is kosher. Why don't you eat some beef, all right, you don't break the law, and you save your skin, all right. But he had a, a deeper and more mature understanding about the moral life. He understood that it was his example that was just as important or more important than the actual eating or not eating of pork. It was the example that he would leave to the younger generation. He got that. He understood the connections and the bonds 
from one generation to the other. So important to, to have that connection to the younger people. How sad is it I, I do see sometimes because, and I mean, it's, it takes two to tango. It's, it's fault on everybody's part. But I really am very disappointed sometimes when I see older people um, resolved to the situation whereby, well, you know, my kids don't care about me. They're not going to visit me anymore. So to hell with them. I'm just going to go and live my own life and forget about them. I, it's, so, it's so sad to see that. And it's very common. It's very common. You know, my I keep saying to my dad all the time, you know, dad, like, if you want us to buy the house, it doesn't matter, I'll pay the extra taxes, I'll do this, I'll do that. He, my dad is insistent that he's going to take care of everything. He's already got his gravestone paid for, he's got this paid for. It's like, he's not going to let his kids take care of him at all, you know? And I, I think that it's not his fault in a certain sense. It's this whole mentality that we have where we exist for ourselves. I die. The new generation starts from zero, you know. And the laws and the government don't help this. You know, heavy tax laws that basically penalize any inheritance. So you can't pass anything on. And again, my dad jokes all the time. Is well, my kids aren't going to have to fight over anything, you know, when I die because I'm not going to leave them anything, you know. <laughs> And, but that's, that's where we're at. It's like every generation starts completely fresh. There's no connection to the previous generation. And this, this whole mentality is embedded in how our taxes function and work. And I had a beautiful experience, and I think it's okay to share this as a kind of an intimate experience, a pastoral intervention that I had when I was in Auburn. The couple, older couple, uh, very, very nice. The woman was a, was a widow. She's living by herself and her neighbor, who was kind of an old timer himself, but he was very physically fit and, and strong guy and had a lot of energy. And, uh, these are, you know, simple people, working class people. And, uh, here she is. She's getting sicker and sicker and sicker and she's kind of like her health is breaking down. She can't really do much for herself. She's got like this oxygen tank. And so her neighbor, friend is like, he's shoveling, he's doing everything, and, and they fall in love, okay? And uh, you know what, though? They move in together. They cohabit, they start cohabitating. Here's old-timers, right? And they move in to, to, with each other without marriage, okay? So as, as time would unfolded here, she wanted to come into the church. She wasn't Catholic, but she wanted to come into the Catholic church, and this man was also going to convert as well, so I was kind of working with them. And, uh, you know, I realized it's just so sad, again, how our taxes are structured. It's not advantageous oftentimes for old people to actually marry because they lose Social Security and all this kind of stuff. There's huge incentives to, like, cohabitate <laughs> without marriage. What are we doing? It's totally crazy. It's totally crazy. We penalize marriage and reward cohabitation, right? So, and then add, to add insult to injury, you know, she had children. Where are her kids? They're not taking care of her. So older folks are really, sometimes they're kind of, there's huge incentives for them to cohabitate because they can take care of each other because the kids aren't taking care of their folks. <laughs> it's crazy, right? But I, I said to her at one point when we were working together, you know, we really, before you come into the church, we need to tie the knot between you and, and uh, so, you know, we're just going to call him Joe, you know. Between you and Joe, we got to really, we got to tie the knot here. And she was coming, him in and hawing, and I was like, what about your grandchildren? 
What about the example that you're going to leave to your grandchildren? And she said, you're right. It hit her like a ton of lead because she loved her grandchildren. She had that human bond of affection with her grandkids. And she says, you're right. I want them to, to do what's right in life. I want them to grow up to be moral people and good people. And what am I doing if I leave them an example of cohabitation? You know? So it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. And, you know, she was very sickly too. But she came into the church at, well, they married, she came into the church, and, uh, they had, and I think they were financially, it hurt them financially. I think it hurt them financially, but they bit the bullet. Uh, they took the hit because they wanted to do the right thing. And she only lived for about a year after that marriage, but it was probably the happiest year of her life. It's probably, the, and I know for sure the husband, it was the happiest year of his life. He hadn't ever, married before. So this was his first and only wife. It was the happiest year of his life. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing because they had that spirit of, of I'm in contact with my kids and with generations ahead of me. I'm not this isolated, disembodied person floating out there. Everything I do just affects me. It doesn't affect anybody else, you know? And how terrible is it as well, too, when I, I, I speak to young people who are thinking about marriage, and the vast majority of them are cohabitating. And how tragic is it when I address the issue of cohabitation, okay, that their parents have not only not said anything against it, have encouraged it. There's one person, this jerk priest who comes into their life, who points out the cohabitation when their own parents are encouraging it. So anyway, I don't want to be negative, but this is, this is my brothers and sisters. We have to understand that we are not these isolated, you know, disembodied little people who just live all on our own, la-di-da-di-da, in our own little worlds. We affect our lives, how we live our lives, affect others, especially the younger generation. So don't ever settle for severed bonds with the younger generation. Go out of your way. Not be pushy, you know, <laughs> but go out of your way to, to really keep those bonds close with your kids and with your grandkids uh, and know how powerful uh, your example is, how powerful your example is to the, to the future generations. And we see that great example today uh, as we celebrate the martyrdom of this wonderful saint, Eleazar.